Welcome or welcome back. My name is Yasmin and this is the Go Within podcast. Regular listeners will hopefully have gotten a feel for the types of conversations we have here. They are stories of inner adventures and self-discovery. Right now, the biggest treasure we can have in our lives is inner peace. And to find inner peace, we need to come within. But coming within is not always so straightforward. In fact, it's mostly not. It is a journey full of challenges. We can often feel confused, defeated, or even think that we're actually going mad. Today's conversation will confirm that you are not mad. That on the contrary, the more we feel anxious or unhappy, the more we need to come to ourselves. And even if we're not struggling with anything particular, going within is the only way to truly live our best lives. To be at our happiest, our most stable, and bring our brightest inspirations and creations to the world. Today's guest is Emma Hogg, a psychotherapist and lifestyle strategist at A Life I Choose. I invited Emma not because she's a psychotherapist, there are plenty of those, but because I believe that she has had and still has a sincere and authentic journey within her own self. She doesn't pretend to be perfect, she's very down to earth and super open about her own struggles and hard times. She also has a beautiful infectious laugh, which I hope you'll enjoy as much as I did. As always, I try my best to bring out the story behind each of my guests, the wisdom that they have learned, not through books, but wisdom made real through their own experience. Because that is not just information, that is true knowledge, and knowledge is where the power is. So thank you for tuning in. I hope you'll enjoy this episode. And as always, good luck on your own inner journeys. Here is Emma Hogg. Awesome. Welcome, Ems. Thank you. So great. I'm very grateful that you took the time to sit down with me. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful too, and I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I feel like I know you and, and your values through your social media posts and your YouTube channel. So it's nice to actually get to sit down together and go a bit more in depth into your journey and get to ask you loads of questions about it. Thank you. Thanks. So thank you. Um, I think, as you know, this is the Go Within podcast. Mm. So I usually like to start by asking people how they first came to the idea of the power of the inner world. Mostly in our society, we live quite materialistic lives and we sort of look outside of us, ourselves, for happiness and fulfillment and it's almost a bit radical to say I'm going to go within and find that happiness within myself so I'm always very curious about how people came to have that understanding and and the challenges that they faced along the way. Okay so my first sort of intro to it um, I suppose it it began when I was 14 years old um, and it began with, uh, as it does for many people, with a time of struggle. Um, I was in a place where I just kind of, I just wouldn't eat. Like, just I just stopped eating. And food brought a lot of anxiety and fear and, um, and all of this. And, and even though I, I became severely underweight, I still just couldn't bring myself to eat and I, I I didn't know why you know I had no idea why I, I was doing this and um, luckily my my parents sent me to therapy even though they were told things like no as if you know because of the, the stigma around it or even they were told things like 
<clears throat> she just wants attention, you know, don't give in to her, just be stricter, you know, but they really, they, they listened to themselves and, and they did it. And I would say that my journey really started then because it took long, you know, but it was, it was then that I began to understand that when you are out of, out of sync with yourself, when you are like, broken from the inside kind of thing everything goes goes out of whack and there's no divide between mind and body you know and it was it was then that I really discovered that I needed to to heal from within to be able to be happy and and just be happy but kind of put myself out there and, and be around people so that that's when it began that's really early it's quite a young age to have that sort of yeah it it was young i i remember um uh, the psychiatrist telling my mother like you're you're lucky because she's young and my mother thinking telling me that like lucky <laughs> these are meant to be the years of her life like she's supposed to be socializing and you know, having fun. But at the same time, I understand what he meant because my mind was so, so malleable and it's still, our minds are still malleable. But the understanding back then was that, you know, it kind of, you have a window and then you're, yeah. <laughs> you're screwed. Like. Yeah. And also some people struggle till their 50s, 60s before they realize some of these ideas that yeah. can actually really help to, to make sense of what we're going through. Yeah. And Definitely. how did your therapy journey help you? Because again, at 14, it's, it's kind of hard to make sense of it all. And it was, it was so long ago. Um, I need some time to... So, so I, I want to remember it properly so I don't just give you like a, um, a bullshit answer kind of thing. Um, how did it help me? Kind of it was... The thing is like at the time, I was so malnourished and I was so... Um, traumatized that my memories are, are very it's like I was there but I wasn't there non-present completely so I remember certain things but my my memories of back then are really like hazy. cut and hazy and not flowing but was there sort of a turning point where you suddenly got to the point where you managed to get out of that particular struggle or did it drag on for many years I'd say when I was um, 16, I went to sixth form. And so for, for about two years, we had been, you know, laying the groundwork, doing the healing, you know. And when I went to sixth form, I kind of looked around at these other teens who were laughing, eating, and like they were, okay. And something inside me said, I want to be okay, you know? So it was really step by step, kind of. It wasn't like a kind of overnight. It definitely wasn't an overnight. And then I remember when I was 18, I felt like I made another leap. But then when I was in my 20s, when I was about 26, I, I, I fell into a depression and again. It wasn't eating this time, but it was, you know, like I was, I, I really hit down. So then there was another period of healing then, you know? So I, I feel like it, it came in, in steps and I think it will continue to go in yeah, steps. I don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm done. Yes. <laughs> I'm waiting for the next That's one. That's the problem, like. you're never done. <laughs> no. <laughs> and 
And I'm curious, did you study psychology before you were 26 or was that, did that come after? No, I, I started when I was 18. I, I started before because I just loved it. And Was it connected to your experience and it helping you? And... Totally, totally. I became so curious like about how people work and what makes them, like what makes people unhappy, what, you know, and it was kind of introduced to me through the Western medical model, you know, of disease. So anorexia and eating disorder and, you know, so you look at it like there's something wrong with you as opposed to it being a, a soulful experience, you know. Um, and yes, but I became really interested. So around 16, I started to read a lot and it became very clear to me that this was what I wanted to do. Um, and then when I was 18, I started studying um, I did my, my undergrad. And then I did research for a couple of years. And then I, I, got, I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And then um, I, I kind of opened up a bit. I did some PR at an architecture firm. I did some other stuff kind of thing. But I always went back to psychology. Like even when I was, you know, at work, like my break would be like reading psychology stuff. And um, so then I just, I knew I had to continue. So when I was 25, I, I started my postgrad. Beautiful. Yeah. I think it's really amazing when you study psychology and at the same time, you're obviously undergoing your own journey from the inside because what I see is that not everyone who studies psychology does that. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah. there are different kinds of um, sort of courses where that's actually mandated. You actually have to do that. Yeah, work. for us, it was a necessity. Yeah. Obviously, you can sort of go as far as you want to go yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'm a bit extreme. <laughs> my, my mother's always told me I'm extreme. So kind of, I don't know, maybe I went a bit extreme with it. But yes, it was very much a, I, in that period, like the first, the first year and a half of my postgrad, I felt like I was dismantling and and putting myself back together but in a way that that served me but the dismantling was 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 uh, not easy at all yeah. i'd love to go more into that we'll we'll come to that in a in a second okay <laughs> i've had my own dismantlings as well <laughs> but first i'd love to ask you just a little bit about sort of how psychology actually helped change your worldview because it's actually not that common unless you <clears throat> study psychology to be taught that the inner world is very important. Mm -hmm. I think many people come to it after a period of crisis. And it seems like you had quite a few, I like to call them, call to adventures in your life where the universe or whatever you can call it was sort of saying, listen, take these tools and go deeper. You have to go yeah. deeper. And, and very often until we're sort of pushed by a crisis then we, we take it easy and we don't necessarily need to plumb the depths of our being. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like you had those experiences that naturally brought it out. And I'm sure psychology gave you that container to make sense of it because it can feel like we're going through crises for no reason. And that's a lot harder to deal with than when you have a sort of framework to be able to make sense of it all. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I, I have some... I have and had amazing mentors, so I'm really 
blessed in that sense. I, you know, I, I'm so grateful for the mentors I've come across. And um, like for me, when I think about my healing journey, I don't really think about psychology per se, like because still there are so many different understandings and everything. I just, I think of my mentors. That's amazing. Yeah. And at the same time, you have to be open, right, to hear your mentors because we're also, again, not to like bitch on our culture, but we do have this culture, especially when it comes to the inner world, where we're very suspicious of mentors because it's a very vulnerable relationship. Yeah. I think of it obviously more from the spiritual sense, like the the idea of gurus, we, we kind of or in a time where we say, no, we're our own guru. Okay. We're our own mentor. We know best for ourselves. We don't want others to tell us what to do because we feel like people yeah. have let us down in a sense. Okay. But having that maturity, I would call it, to know when you can trust a mentor and sort of open yourself up to receive support yeah. is priceless. I mean, I think what you just said now is really important to like to trust a mentor. I don't think you should trust blindly any mentor because not all mentors want the best for you in that case they are not your mentor um but I've definitely come across some amazing amazing mentors and I wouldn't be who I am without them and was it an intuitive feeling to say you know this person I can trust I do feel like they have the best I feel like everything that has been good in my life has been intuitive um, the choice to study philosophy, for example, when I was 16 years old, I knew nothing about philosophy. It was a totally intuitive, huh, okay, I, I, I want to do that, you know, changed my life, you know. Um, with regards to mentors, like studying Gestalt was a totally intuitive thing. So meeting Lydia Petsatich was like, I suppose it was, I, I, I see it as sort of divine intervention, you know, to a, to like coincidences like synchronicity <laughs> yeah yeah like I don't know like some of the most my, my husband is my my most beautiful coincidence the way I see it you know I kind of because it's you you don't expect it to happen you're not planning it and it's like life sends you the challenge that you need yeah but at the same time, there's still a certain amount of trust that needs to be had to even follow your intuitions because a lot of the time, the intuition is not necessarily the easy or the thing that makes sense. But when we have that ability to trust our own inner feeling, then we can have the bravery to follow that, which I think is something we all need to cultivate in a sense yeah. and then get that compass right of you know when to trust, when not to trust. I think it's something that a lot of us struggle with. Yeah, and it's interesting because during my postgrad was when I really learned um, how to trust and how to listen to myself to not trust everybody. Um, so it's kind of, did I know to trust my mentor when I met her? No. But I knew that she was a therapist. I could see she was professional. Um, and she had a whole school established. And I said, this woman's not going to screw me over. Like, she's got too much, too, too much to lose. And this, this is her calling. You know what I mean? So in that respect, it was, it was easy to trust her. But it was really in that process that I started to learn to listen 
to my body for um to to listen to what I'm receiving like you know kind of to know whether to trust I I don't feel it's a good idea to trust blindly like not everybody wants the best for you and some people like not just want the best for you they want you they want to destroy you know they want to destroy so no I don't trust everyone blindly and it was really in this process that that taught me okay listen listen to your body and I think when your body goes into fight or flight when you're around somebody that's a good cue yeah yeah. And I think also we, we sort of think in a sort of more fairy tale way of like, oh, you meet your mentor, it's love at first sight and they change your life overnight. Mm-hmm. But actually it's a sort of deepening of the relationship over time as yeah. you learn to trust more and you, yeah. you see their behavior and their actions and you say, okay, you know, this person's acting in this way. This is something that I can respect. So I can offer my trust onto this, onto yes. this person. Uh, once one of my mentors was, was very challenging with me. And to a point that I felt, why are you doing this to me? Like, I was really upset and it upset me for a long time. Um, and now, you know, I, I really see what he was telling me. And, and I'm, so, I'm so grateful for that lesson. He made a huge difference in my life, you know, and so, but yeah. I can really relate to that because I've had challenges from my mentors as well and I I think good mentors sort of wait till you have enough trust that then you can sort of bear the hard lessons that they give you without running away it's like if yeah, they gave you yeah. that hard lesson on day one you'd be like bye yeah yeah see yeah ya. no peace like <laughs> this is not for me <laughs> yeah. but after you have a certain amount of trust and they start to challenge you then yeah. you're not gonna bolt so quickly and yeah I think that's really the the true test of our relationships with our mentors when they come under stress um how, how we deal with that and, and whether we're just going to blame them or sort of take responsibility and, and try to see what the message is for us. Yeah. And also, you know, on the side of the mentor, the, the sort of the holding of the space, the holding of the conflict and, and allow, allowing um, the, the, the reparation. Reparation, is that the yeah. word? The repairing. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> to happen. Making amends. Yeah. yeah. You know, because that's... Uh, that's massively important in any relationship. Yeah. Like, I mean, conflict is... is of course. I always remember Lydia Petsotich saying this, uh, love goes beyond conflict. And it has to. Yeah. I think also as a mentor, be it when you are the mentor yourself, you have to bear the fact that your mentees are at some point going to project all their crap onto you. Totally. And you have to just sort of take it and not blame them and just hold it and let them sort of bounce off you. Yeah. And if you trust in them as a student that after some time they're going to take responsibility and sort of, if, yeah. if it is theirs to take. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. That's, that's quite interesting as well. Yeah, it <laughs> I'm is. I'm sure a... you have that as, as a therapist. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I've, I've done it to my own therapist as yeah. well, you know, like totally projection <laughs> is there. such a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I'd love to come back to the dismantling now. Okay. <laughs> and I'm interested in it because as I told you, I've been through my own dismantling, yes. many of them. Yes. And I'm very curious because I feel like it's a crucial part of the going within journey. Going within is not just about, you know, sunshine and roses. Hello. There's, unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of 
darkness that you have to face along the way. Definitely. And I like to call it sort of the dark night of the soul period or the dismantling, which I think are the same, if not similar. Mm. And I'm always curious <clears throat> how we navigate that because it challenges us to the core of our being. I don't know if maybe you want to start by sharing some, give us sort of a picture of what you went through, if, if you're okay with that. Sure. Um, okay, so it's, fu- it's funny, like, how do you navigate it? I think when you're in that period, when you're dismantling, especially if you're very new to it, you probably don't have the tools to know how to navigate it, which is why mentors become so important because they're not going to fix it for you, but they will definitely support you with the tools and help you to remember what tool works at what point, what's going to help you, you know. Um, They help you to remember it for yourself because everybody's different. For me, at that time, it was very, very intuitive what helped me. Um, so one, I had my, my therapist who I went to once a week who really helped me a lot. Um, she, she held the space a lot. Um, but poetry became a massive part of that time. Um, I don't know, it was like, a, it was, it was so, it's so funny because it was such a horrible time. And even when I, when I was going through the, to put a label on it, anorexia, um, I, poetry was a massive part of it. Writing or reading? Uh, writing. 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 It's all, I don't know why, it's always been my sort of outlet. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, what you said was perfect. Um, really, that's... Very often we don't have the tools, but we need people on the outside to tell us, listen, try this. And sometimes we try 10 different things and one of them will be that thing that actually gets us through. Yeah. And I think actually one of the things about these kind of processes is that we don't know how to get through. We don't know how to cope. But the thing is, we do. That's We're... what I mean, as in like we have to figure it out through it. In e- a exactly. Sense, you know? right. And that's what's so powerful that it forces us to go into levels of ourselves that we didn't even know. Exactly. It forces us to be resourceful, to cope in ways we didn't know we could. And to believe that we can do it. Yeah. I think that's um, something that I see from from some of my yoga students because yoga brings up this journey as well. And, And very often we don't trust ourselves to get through it. And that's when we go into an unhealthy relationship with our mentors because we expect them to solve it to for fix us. It, yeah. And a good mentor won't do that. Yeah. They'll give you the tools and they'll say, you know, use the tools. Yeah. I'll support you, but I'm not going to do the work for you. Totally. And sometimes we, we feel so powerless by this dismantling that we sort of rebel against that. We're like, no, you're supposed to help me. Well, I, I think that we're sort of taught this as well from... You know, the way that sort of like when we're unwell, we go to the doctor and in like five minutes, the doctor gives us a diagnosis and gives us a, a prescription. Now, as I, as I say this, I don't, I don't want it to sound like I'm bashing on, on, on doctors or the medical profession. Obviously, I've met some amazing doctors. Like, but what I'm, what I'm saying is we've sort of been trained like, to not listen to our bodies, to not trust our bodies to heal. Like we need some pill that's gonna like fix it and in reality it doesn't and it usually just 
toxifies us even more. Yeah. You know, and it's... Uh, so I, I love the name of your podcast because it's so... It, it, it's exactly what we need to do. And the truth is, like, a mentor cannot tell you what you need, right? Even as, as therapists, like, some people say, but how do you know what they need? I don't. You know, my, my role is to hold the space to ask you the questions for you to ask yourself, what do I need? Because you know what you need. So as you know, when you tune in to your body and your thought patterns, you will feel, you will know what needs to be adjusted. You just need the space and the trust to go there and to explore it enough to not rush the process. And, and what would be some of the tools you would... <clears throat> recommend your clients or what you used because what I see is a lot of the time we get triggered or we're in this emotional funk you can call it and we don't know the way out and we actually resist the tools we don't want to do anything we know that we should journal and we know we should go for a walk but we don't want to do it our pain body is sort of like ah, I just want to stay here and wallow in myself yeah yeah and a lot <laughs> of the time we don't even know what we feel it's like we feel numb and we don't know what we feel and we need to do some kind of technique or, or use a tool that's going to help us realize, oh, it's shame. Oh, it's frustration. Oh, it's X, Y, Z. What, so what would I suggest? Yeah. It really, it really depends on the client um, because it depends on, on their relationship with themselves, their relationship with writing or or... Like there are some clients who are going to write and it's really going to help them. Like, but there are some clients who are going to go for a run, you know, or um, it, it, it really depends. It really, really depends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think writing is, is a really beautiful one. A lot of us feel yeah. um, some, a lot of progress through that. But yeah, I, obviously everyone has their own way. Yeah. And all you can do is keep trying different ones till you hit on that one that's for you. I mean, like yesterday, I was listening to the podcast you had done with um, with Peter Grek, and he was speaking about, you know, how he would express himself through music. It was the way that he knew best, you know. So, yeah, it really it really depends on the client. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to get a little bit more detail about what led to the dismantling, like what kind of thought processes and what were the sort of <clears throat> key emotions mm -hmm. that. Sort of brought you into that kind of state. Okay. Um, okay, that's really interesting. <laughs> I need to go there. <laughs> I haven't been there for a while. And you know how, because it's a painful place, we avoid it, you know? At least I do, for sure. Um, okay, so... It was funny because I was at a stage in my life where I felt like... I had dealt with everything, you know? I was like, no, I dealt with the anorexia, like, I'm good, everything's fine, blah, blah, blah. Um, I suppose it was through studying again and getting in touch with, with pain and the, the pain that people experience, other people's suffering. Also, I, I'm, I'm a very sensitive I think we all are sensitive people but kind of well I, 
I think we all start out sensitive and then we sort of numb, numb it to an extent. <clears throat> but I, I was the kind of person who would walk into a room and either feel or project the feeling and that would overwhelm me. So not only was I in touch with my feelings, but I was in touch with what I assumed were yours and, and yours and yours and yours. And I would leave the evening like, oh my God, kind of overwhelmed by it. So that was really difficult for me as well. And I think just the fact that I had the support of my mentor gave me the safety to be able to dismantle, which might seem like a bad thing, like maybe we shouldn't dismantle. But the truth was, I really needed to dismantle because I really needed to heal. And until I did that healing, like I just, I couldn't be in this role. I couldn't be a mentor for others, you know, and I couldn't be creative in the way that I wanted to be. And I, the main thing was that I couldn't love fully. I was, even though I wasn't aware of it, I was sort of pre-programmed and functioning within that pre-programming, you know? And I'm still pre-programmed to an extent. It's not like I dismantled and I came back together and now I'm completely enlightened. I'm, you know, we, we constantly do this. It's a work in progress. Yeah, exactly. I think, as you said, <clears throat> we don't know how to love fully. And I think, and I'm sure you will agree, that that stems from our relationship with ourselves. Totally. And when you go through these dark nights or the dismantlings, you get really faced with how little you love yourself. And I think that's really challenging for yeah. all of us. Yeah. Um, I myself, like I told you, have been through a few <laughs> dismantlings. Yes. And I think my biggest one was just after I started Sanya, because I felt under so much pressure and Grassy Hopper was sort of, it had grown beyond what I felt I could control. And it wasn't running the way that I wanted it to run. I had a lot of issues that I was sort of feeling like I'm always patching up, but never managing to get on top of it. And then I started Sanya and I had a whole other financial responsibility. And starting a business takes time. You don't make money on day one. Yeah. You make money on year three, four, five. Totally. totally. And so in, in the first year, the business didn't go according to our business plan at all. And I started feeling so overwhelmed and feeling like I'm not going to manage to get this business profitable. And it really affected my self-esteem. I was feeling like I'm a failure and I'm not going to be able to do this and it just led to me dismantling because I couldn't function from this place of I'm not good enough. Yeah. I'm a failure. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to manage. Totally. Nobody can function from that space. No. <laughs> You're totally in fight or flight. You can't think straight. Yes. And it, For it sure. obviously takes a toll on your physical body because your body is constantly flooded with stress hormones, which then affects your sleep and exactly. wake up tired. You can't re repair. Exactly. You can't be creative. You can't be inspired. Exactly. Exactly when you need to be at your most creative and inspired. Yes. And it was a really challenging time for me. I can imagine. And at the same time, my sister, who I started the business <coughs> with, decided that this wasn't for her after one year, which obviously really challenged me as well because I felt abandoned and I felt 
when I started the business, I felt, okay, if I do it with her, then the responsibility is shared yeah. because I've always been a very over-responsible person. Yeah. So I felt like, oh, you know, there's someone else in this with me. And then that someone else felt like it wasn't for them anymore. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I didn't want to blame her because she's my sister and she's you know, you one of the her. people that I love the most. So yeah. it was such a challenging time for me. And yeah, that's why you can call it a dismantling because you start feeling like, all the things that are in control are out of control. And it's so hard to sort of bring it all back together. Yeah. And yeah. at the same time, I was running a wellness business where I'm teaching people how to connect with themselves and manage stress and, and so on. So it was really a, a, an amazing challenge for me. Yes. And I, I think the worst part about it was that I got to a point where I started feeling sorry for myself. And that was sort of... That could have been the end of this project because if I didn't take responsibility, it was only going to keep going in one direction. And yeah, luckily I, I have some good mentors as well. And one of my mentors told me, this is such a beautiful challenge for you. You're going to grow so much from this. Mm. Look at who you're going to be when mm. you come through this. And it just flipped a switch in my head where I went from, oh my God, poor me. Mm-hmm. to wow I'm gonna grow so much from this and if I get through this I'm gonna be able to help people so much more damn right and it really sort of brought me into that do. challenge you do <laughs> I mean you. you started a, a mastermind session now no for entrepreneurs as yes. well so yeah and you are you are an entrepreneur who I admire very much thank you so I'm sure that there are several other people who admire you as well because what I like about about you is that you I can see that everything you do you do with soul and you do it from your heart and that's that's where I want to spend my money <laughs> you know what I mean like so it's yeah thank you yeah I mean I started Sanya as a as a product of my own go within journey yeah and I think when you go within similar to yourself you know, at age 18, after going within yourself, you said, I want to help other people go within. Definitely. Because it feels so great that you, you want to share. You can't not. Like, it's, yeah, this has helped me heal eh? and this has made me joyful and has helped me to love more, which means I can contribute more to this world. All of a sudden, you start to feel more like you belong to society, like you have more responsibility. Yeah, and I think that just comes from feeling like you belong with your own self. Yeah. Like for me, after all of this challenge, I came to this peace within myself where I said, you know what, if this business fails, I can totally live with that because my worth is not based on whether Sanya succeeds or fails. My worth is about me doing what I enjoy doing to the best of my ability and showing up every day trying to give, as you said, my soul to to others so that whole challenge, you know, actually made me come back to myself and find this yeah. peace with, with my own self. So like the way you just described it, you know, it's like, I think you really beautifully said how you showed how dismantling is not a bad thing. It feels bad when you're in it it feels overwhelming and, and really scary because you're stepping into the unknown. But in reality, it's a real blessing. And this is why I do not like it when somebody experiences depression and are told, 
you know, oh, you have depression, take these pills. Or they're experiencing anxiety. Oh, you have anxiety, take these pills. You know, it's like, no, like this is not a fault in their makeup. This is a human experience, you know? And the more that we solidify it and make it a fault in their makeup, the more it's going to distract them and the more their body chemistry is going to respond to that and they're going to go out of balance even more, you know? So then it becomes even harder to, to regulate. So if we just see these experiences of dismantling and just call them dismantling as opposed to, you know, mass, major depression or, or bipolar or whatever, like that's, that becomes the identity then because then that gives me significance. I'm allowed to be this way because I have a... I have a diagnosis, so I know I don't need to be responsible. No, I don't need to take care of you because I have a diagnosis. Fuck that. (laughs) Totally agree. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) In fact, I really love the concept of a spiritual emergency. Yeah. And there's actually a really beautiful book called Spiritual Emergency, written by a psychiatrist who sort of went more onto the took a left turn away from from prescribing pills to helping people go within to themselves. And and he says, you know, a lot of people who come in with even things as serious and as medically uncertain as schizophrenia can be healed through this inner journey. Yes. And And looking at your diet, looking at, you know, what are you made of? You know, like, to me, it's, it's quite... I don't want to judge it too too harshly because I was in that space a few years ago where you kind of see your body separate from what you put into it. Yeah. But the truth is food is the building blocks of our being. So our thoughts and our emotional states, you know this, you know, they come... I told you we were going to get to food at some point. Definitely, because we're both passionate (laughs) about it. But like our, our, our thoughts, our emotional states our physical states come from what we, what we put in it. So if we're eating a chicken that's been pumped full of antibiotics, you know, and stuff, and it's, it's been kept in such a horrible condition that its body is full of cortisol because it was hyper-stressed. And then we eat this cortisol and we're like experiencing anxiety. It's like, no shit, like, you know, yeah. kind of, you know, it's like we need to honor the vehicle that we are, in this life in and I think it it comes down to empowerment you know it's so as you said it's so much easier to say oh I have a diagnosis I take these pills and the pills is simple you know it's like one plus one equals two whereas when you go within there's no map yeah all you have is other people who have gone within two who can point you in the left turn or the right turn yeah and I think that uncertainty because we just don't know how to deal with our inner world makes us go for the easy option, which is just take. But the truth is that's uncertain too. And it's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten that you're not, no, you're not seeing. Yes. Because in reality, you're just numbing yourself. And when you numb yourself, you have no compass. So you were speaking about trust, right? I know who to trust now, and I don't always get it right, but I can feel because I tune in. I stay present and then I can feel how does my body respond. If my body responds in fight or flight to someone, I know that there's something off. 
But if my body, if I can make eye contact with you and you can maintain it and like, not forever, but like in the way that we are now, yeah. we make contact, yeah. I, I feel safe, yeah. you know? So if I numb that, if I numb my body's respons- responses, I don't know how to respond to the world around me. Definitely. And then we see control in outside of ourselves. We try to control others yeah. to make it safe for us. To someone who's listening to this, yeah. maybe they're thinking, where am I? Am I sort of where on the scale am I? Am I super in touch with myself or am I super out of touch? What would you say are some signs that you should notice to say, listen, maybe you need to come to the go within a bit more seriously? Because I, I feel like one of the signs, for example, that comes to my mind is in a relationship, we often get overly attached to the other person making us happy. Yes. And I, I meet so many people who are not only stuck in dysfunctional relationships, but are creating dysfunction within their relationships because of their insecurities. So for me, that's like a, you know, a red alert sign that, listen, you need to come to love yourself so that you won't put so much pressure onto this relationship. Maybe you have like a few other things that people can just listen out for. That I think is fantastic because yes, when your relationships are very stressed, there is some, there is work that needs to be done. And very often we think it's the other person who needs to change. But, um, and I'm not saying that the other person doesn't need to grow. We all need to grow, but, but definitely there is growth for you to, to do. Um, another thing I'd say is mood. Like, what's your mood like? Are, are you the kind of person who enjoys your days typically and you feel, not that everything goes swimmingly, like, but you can see beauty in the challenge and, and you feel a sense of purpose and kind of you're happy to be alive. You know, you, you're grateful to be alive. You know, if you're not feeling grateful to be alive, if you're pissed off, a lot of the time and if you're 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 anxious a lot of the time or you're um you're sad a lot of the time these these are telling you different things and and basically um you're not broken there's nothing wrong with you but there is there is there's healing that needs to be done and yeah it's it, it, if it becomes habitual there's nothing wrong with experiencing anger like i i experience anger you know um I'm 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 a very passionate person. I will get angry about stuff, you know. Um but I'm very grateful for my anger because it tells me I am not okay with this. I do not go along with this and and I will not allow you to treat me this way, for example. Um it's just when it becomes a habit, when we respond to everyone with anger or when we respond to every situation with anxiety or when we're constantly, you know, sad and and and, and powerless there's growth that needs to be done most definitely. And the more intensely we experience it, the bigger the forward movement. So, um, which might sound scary, but that's actually really empowering because it's like, it's like, (laughs) before I started like doing workshops and stuff, like I experienced so much anxiety, like, um, and it wasn't about the workshops, but I went through a period after I had a stroke. This, This was after I had a stroke about a year and a half ago and there was so much anxiety 
around death and, and everything. And I remember being really overwhelmed by it and thinking, why is this happening? And, and I wish this wasn't happening. I fought myself, you know, I fought myself not to be this way. Um, but the forward movement that came from that anxiety was incredible. And I look back now and I'm so grateful for that period because like I came out with all of this creative energy and wanting and I'm just so grateful for my life and so grateful to be alive and that I really want to do the most that I can and help as many people as I can and not to sound narcissistic but kind of like like do you know what I mean just kind yeah. of let people know like that yeah. life is a gift yeah I mean in a in a sense not recognizing our greatness is just as much a problem of recognizing it too much you know yeah. it's like the, the middle ground that that we yeah. need to find yeah. Um you like really casually <clears throat> mentioned I had a stroke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so was that much later than your bout of depression? Did that come after? Yes, that was. Cuz you had quite a few serious health challenges around that time. Yeah, so was it linked to the depression or was it after? It was after. It was after, but um Every, I, everything's connected so I, I can't say it, there was no relationship um, yeah no it, start, it started when in my late 20s I, I started getting pain all over my body and um, I was diagnosed with, with fibromyalgia which again is an umbrella term for we don't know what's happening with you basically like so um, I don't know and then I was I I succumbed to, to, to medication because nothing was getting better. I was told that I had a lifelong condition, um, that I was always going to be this way. And, and it was to the point that, like, putting on clothes was, was, was agonizing and walking was agonizing. And it was just, it was a horrible, horrible state. And I, I thought I was dying. I was quite certain. I, not I thought, I felt in my body, I felt that I was dying you know, which freaked me out. This was when the anxiety began because I was not ready to die, you know. I did not want to die. But I could feel that my body was telling me, like, I can't do this anymore. I could feel the energy being sapped from my body. Like, it became really difficult to get through a day. And so I I, I agreed to medication after several years of, of like, just trying to, to cope and not knowing what to do. And um, and after about a year and, and a quarter, I was w well enough to come off the medication. And when I got off the medication, the pain came back and hit me like a ton of bricks. And and my anxiety, all my neuro neurotransmitters were, were off balance and my anxiety rose through the roof. And, and a month later, I had a stroke. So I got off the medication and a month later, I had a stroke which was a big shock for me because I got off the medication believing that my life was back on track, you know, because I had done a lot of work in that time, you know, a lot of uh, physio and, and this is when I began yoga and um, meditation or every day, you know, almost every day. Um, so I had done a real lot of work. I wasn't like sitting around expecting the meds to, to do their job. So it was a big shock when I had the stroke. But... Um, this, the stroke kind of told me just like it. It was that. It was that limit for me. It was just like enough, enough. Like I'm taking 
I'm power back into my own hands. Like this is my life. I'm not ready to die. And you know what? If I am going to die young, then I need to, I need to leave my mark. So get out there and start. Like just work. Just work, 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 work. Put your message out. Who cares if you look like an idiot? Who cares if you, you know, because I could be dead in three years. You know, I could be dead in two. I could be dead next month. I don't know. Like, you know, so it really pushed me. And it was, it was then that I changed my diet. Suddenly it was my, my 31st birthday. So less than a year ago. And um, I felt like I had the second chance. I was actually at a conference and on my birthday, the, the focus was health. And we learned a lot about diet and it was stuff I knew, you know, but stuff that I hadn't followed like strictly. And I just said, enough, like, you know, I have my chance, I'm doing it, you know. So was that change in diet enough to help you manage the condition? So it took time, like anything. And um, I wouldn't say it was the diet on its own, but the diet did play a massive role and it still does. Um... I mean, so much changes when you give your body food that it can actually use as opposed to food that clogs it and your body has to find a way to get rid of this stuff. And like, so I, I experienced a, a dramatic increase in my energy um, and consequently my focus, which I loved because I love to be on it and I like you know I like You're, you seem like a creator you like creating <laughs> I like creating and I I, I love I love to have energy like so for me like changing my diet and within you know just a few weeks noticing this surge in energy was like whoa you know like kind of I hadn't felt that way in, it's priceless it's priceless it's like you can breathe again it's like you you get your life back so Diet played a, a major, major role for me, and it still does. And, and I will never abuse my body with food like I used to. And, um, and now, and also the other things that made a difference were meditation, you know, so reinterpreting pain because I got to a point where, where ev every sensation was interpreted painfully by my brain, so I needed to rewire. So I did a, a lot of meditation. I still do physio, you know, because I still, you know, I get just like everybody, we carry tension, we carry stress, so I still do that. I love to come here for massages sometimes, like that's my, that's my treat. Um, although it really shouldn't be a treat, it's just <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah. So it's been, a, there's, there's a lot of different factors and, and therapy, obviously. Um, it seems like mindset was the biggest shift. Yeah. This, this transition from feeling powerless to powerful. Yes. That actually was the biggest change. I think, I think the biggest, biggest change in terms of mindset started from my identity, where I had gotten to a point where I was identifying as a sick person. I am sick, Right. And um, I am so sick that nobody knows how to help me, <laughs> which gave me quite a sense of significance. Which is actually a very common thing. Yeah, yes, totally. To feel. Totally. Um, 
And then when the stroke happened, because obviously if you identify as sick, you're going to get sick. If you identify as lazy, you're going to be lazy. If you identify as, as empowered, you're going to be empowered. And I got to, like the stroke just pushed me to that point where I said, okay, you're either going to die in a couple of years or you're going you're gonna to get your shit together. Like, so do you want to be sick or do you want to be healthy? And I just chose healthy. I chose not just health, but I chose to identify as a healthy person. And I told myself from this day forward, I am a healthy person. And from then everything followed like, like step by step, you know, but everything followed, you know, that I, I stick to a, an exercise regime that again is not, you know, it's not Hard. about hurting my body. It's about treating my body. It's about nourishing and, and my mind, they're linked. They're the same. Um, and, and, and the food and, and I continue the meditation and I, I, I continue the physio and, I continue to nourish my relationships and I continue to nourish my environment. So it's a very holistic approach. And it seems like also your sense of purpose through your work is also a big part of your joy and your happiness. Massively, massively. <laughs> I'm a big believer in that, you know, that we all need some, some meaning and sense of purpose to wake up in the morning. Yes. And it's, it's a challenge because not everyone can do work which is totally aligned with what they want to express in the world. But I think no matter what your job is, you can always find a sense of meaning. It can be a hobby. It can be something you do outside. But that's something that we always need to ask ourselves. Like, how can I help others? What can I do in this life that will make me feel proud of, of the work that I do? Yeah. And that's such a key component of self-esteem, in a sense. Definitely. I think that when we... like. I was listening to Simon Sinek recently who was speaking about how we are designed to take care of others. And I think that when we focus only on ourselves is when we become the most miserable. And most of the time, like when you are in a miserable state, you don't notice that you're focusing on yourself. Very often you think that you're focusing on others, but you're not. Ultimately, you're focusing on yourself and... It's kind of ironic as well, because in a sense, it's a lack of true self-love that makes us focus on ourselves. It's like we're, we're loving the wrong parts of ourselves. We're, we're loving the, the things that we do out there as opposed to loving who we are. And I think if you really love yourself, not as a result of your job title or how much money you have, but you just love yourself because you're a being that deserves love that then naturally extends out to caring for others. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I noticed that it's something that you talk about quite a lot, self-love. Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't think it's something that I speak about so directly, but some people have associated me with it, which I like. It's nice. Yeah. Um, and I think it's an important message for people to hear and, and to ask themselves, how can we love ourselves truly? And I, I think it's a bit weird because, like... Self-love is definitely self-compassion. You know, it's definitely like accepting that we're flawed and we're human beings and we make mistakes and sometimes we hurt people when we don't mean to and, you know, like or sometimes we hurt people and we mean to. What are you talking about? I'm perfect. You know? so, so it's like bringing the forgiveness. But it's also self-love isn't like looking... I don't always like myself, you know? I love myself. I don't always like myself. And 
it's in those moments when I don't like myself that I know, okay, I need to work on something here. You know, if I'm treating my husband badly or if I'm, I don't know, like, uh, that's usually the time I dislike myself most. <laughs> that's when I know I'm most misaligned. And usually what's happening is that I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not honoring, I'm not making space, I'm not, I'm not seeking time for grace. I'm just in a, in a go, 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 produce results kind of place. Um, and that's when I start to become really like uh, irritable. Yeah. And, and because I'm functioning from a place of I'm not good enough, then no one else is good enough. Right. And that's when I go into judgment. And yes. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it sounds it, familiar just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think that was really beautiful that you distinguish between I like myself and I love myself. I, that's really interesting. I've never heard anyone put it quite like that. And it, wow, beautiful. Yes, we have Thank to love you. ourselves even when there are things that we don't like about ourselves. And I think that's really a challenge for many of us that we want to be perfect. And when we see that we're not, it's kind of a shock to the system. And we, we sort of shut down and we don't know how to deal with that. Yeah something that always like reassures me with the perfection thing is just knowing that we like each other more when we see imperfection in each other so yeah that's what I tell myself too yeah it's like we all want to connect with real people not perfect people exactly but yet we always think that we need to be perfect to get that connection yeah yeah it's crazy yeah spirituality and psychology Mm -hmm. is a topic that I find really fascinating Mm -hmm. and there are two things that are not always brought together Mm -hmm. yet correct me if I'm wrong but I think psyche actually comes from the word soul yeah suka 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 I don't know suka something so (laughs) it's like when the art of psychology was first uh, formulated it included the soul totally then somewhere along the line the soul kind of got kicked to the side and I think now we're seeing a little bit of a renaissance of the soul being brought back to psychology. What's your, your take on, on that relationship? Um, on, on how it's been in, in the psychology world? or Just the, the importance of bringing those two together, if, if you feel it's important. Bringing or Bringing, bringing yes. our soul into the journey of psychology. I don't know how a person can be somewhere without their soul. <laughs> so, Good point. So, so it's that simple. Ah, and I think that like, okay, sometimes you, we have sessions that are like very like results driven, like, you know, kind of, cause it's about, it's more like consultation. It's about meeting a business target or it's about um, adjusting a behavior. But even then it has to be driven by your soul and it needs to be, aligned with your values this is for me what self-love is more than anything and for me psychology like what you want more than anything is for the person to have a good relationship with themselves because once you have a good relationship with yourself then you can have a good relationship with others and and then and then you do not abuse if you are misaligned with yourself and you treat yourself like shit if that's your inner voice that's your external voice as well so you're doing that to everybody else and this is where damage starts. So for me, if you can work with individuals to find love, you are, you are healing. You, you, are, you are helping 
on a grander scale. So, um, I got a bit off track. Um, so, like what what I was thinking when you were saying that is, can someone who doesn't believe that they have a soul still do that process and still love themselves? But in a way, it's like they're loving a part of themselves, not the totality of who they really are. I think if that's where they begin, that's where they begin. You know, we all start from different places. But ideally, you know, you would sort of bring in, widen the circle of who you are into that. Bit by bit. Yeah. I think that if you, if somebody comes to you here and you're telling them that's not good enough, you need to be here. You miss them completely. (laughs) Yes. You just have to go slowly, slowly and do the healing. And and I don't think we're all meant to... I I don't think it's in my power to heal everybody. And even that we heal 100% is not in... in, It's even in my own power to heal myself 100%. But it is in my power to heal myself as much as I can. Yeah. But I'm always going to be reintegrating yeah but my i don't feel it's i feel there's a there's a there's a high there's, there's a higher infinite, design yes you know what i mean and i don't think we're all supposed to be as aligned and as attuned as each other and sometimes the people who are most misaligned create something incredible that makes a massive difference to society you know yeah. and it's like okay you were meant like this, this was needed this was necessary yeah so I think for me, the the two were always intricately connected because my journey into my mind from a sort of more psychological perspective was happening at the same time that I was getting interested in spirituality. Yes. But I also realized that it doesn't have to be that way, right? We can just start to get to know ourselves better and then that might lead to a more expanded set view of who we are but it also might not and that's that's okay obviously from a yoga perspective we are the soul and our soul and nourishing that soul is actually even more important than nourishing our body if we nourish our soul then our body is going to be nourished too yes but that's something which you know in the western world is a little bit out of our normal way of of viewing ourselves which in a way is funny because if you go back to the ancient greeks they actually had this very much like if you go back to Aristotle Pythagoras for example was a super soulful individual and he actually taught about spirituality um but he's actually only remembered for Pythagoras theorem yeah which apparently wasn't his really I'm not sure about it I don't know but we have we have a book of his in our library and when I read it I was really surprised I was like wow this guy is really spiritual and the things that he was teaching people for how to live a good life, we're all, you know, love your neighbor, be of service to your community, oh, cool. um, have uh, integrity, these kind of things, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. But then at some point, we focused a little bit more on the outside world than we, we were doing on the inside. And I think this, this is the revolution that we need to take within ourselves because there's just record levels of anxiety and stress at the moment. We are, yeah. we are more stressed than we have yeah. ever been. Apparently, I don't know the stats, but I've heard that university students nowadays are really struggling big time with anxiety and stress. And there's like a, 
there's like a disconnect and I'm, I'm sure that many of them will say, ah, oh, but it's the workload, but it sounds like it's, it sounds like it's, because <laughs> workload you can handle if yes. you are, if you are integrated, right? It sounds like a disconnection from the self. Yeah. And actually there are, there are some theories that say it's very much to do with the smartphones. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I, I mean, if you're constantly here, how can you be yeah. here? In fact, in America, I heard one statistic that the first generation of college students who had smartphones, who were brought up with smartphones, had 40% increase in suicide rates among boys and 70% in girls. Wow. And the reason why it was bigger in girls and in boys was that boys use the internet and their phones more to play games. Okay. And girls are more posting on social media and waiting for the reply, waiting for the likes, wait, waiting for that confirmation of, yes, I'm worthy. Yes, yes you're I'm okay. Worthy of love. And that's just creating havoc in our relationship with ourselves. Well, our, our Instagram is a lot like, like our magazines. Yes. No, I mean, it's just... Except, you know, the smartphone is there. Every, all the time. Yeah, you, know, you didn't walk around with your magazine open all the time. Yeah, it was and it wasn't walking around it wasn't calling you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Hello. Look yes. at me. Look at me. <laughs> yes. I was mentioning in, in quite a few of the other podcasts how changing my relationship with Instagram really changed my mental health. What, what did um, you do? How did you? I just stopped counting and looking at my Instagram as a way to success. You know, before it was like, oh, if I have 10,000 followers, then I'm going to get more people in my classes. I'm going to get more people coming to Sanya. That's my way to get success, right? You have to be on social media to get business success. Yeah. And I just said, well, you know what? That's, I'm going to cancel that <laughs> belief. Okay. And I'm just going to use my social media to express myself. Yeah. So especially when I was in India, I was just sharing what I was thinking in that day that felt... Like a meaningful thought, not I love random thoughts, but yeah. like, wow, this, you know, I was thinking about this one day today and, and it feels like it's something meaningful to me. And in a way, if I look back at my Instagram, it's like all my best memories and all the things I was thinking about during this year that we're making up who I am. So it's meaningful for you when yes. you look back. Yes, I was thinking yeah. like, wow, if I actually printed out these pictures and these, uh, this text, it would be like my journal. Yeah. Right. It would be the best part of my journal. Yeah. And I just stopped. That's something I like about Instagram a lot. Yeah. Um. I just stopped using it as a as a measure. I think of yeah. how I'm doing in life. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> that that took off a lot of anxiety. I I me. understand you because I've I had very very similar feelings. You know, like I don't have many followers, so I don't look as uh, um, legit. Legit. Like. Um, but recently I heard, um, I was watching a Marie Folio video and I can't remember who she was speaking to, but they were saying, it's not about the number of followers you have, but like, what value can I share with my 10 followers, my 20 followers? Because at the end of the day, you don't want thousands of followers you don't connect with. You just want the few who you sync with, right? Who you're in sync with definitely that's how you're going to be most impactful i think it's it's obviously we are also at a certain age where we can sort of analyze our relationship with things like instagram and sort of make those changes and 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 look at the feedback of how it's making us feel and change but when you're 14 15 16 
totally. It's, you don't have that maturity to be able to say, well, hold on, like, is this making my life better or is it making my life worse? And, yeah. and everyone else is doing it and everyone else is putting all yeah, this energy yeah. into it. Of course, of course. So, so I should be doing it too. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and in a sense, I think, I, I, I seem to be talking about Instagram in every single podcast that I record <laughs> practically. But I think to me, it, it sort of social media represents the opposite of the go within journey. It's like social media is sort of taking us away from our authentic self, unless you really, not to say that it's always like that, because yeah. as we said, like, you know, at, at a certain level of maturity, you can. You can use it in that way. And I love yeah. how we can connect with other people yeah. doing in fact, this too. It's I only been... got to know you through Instagram, really, because I was yeah. seeing your posts and saying like, wow, the things she's saying resonate with me so we yeah. obviously have similar values yes and even though we've only met a handful of times like we're sitting here together to have yes. an awesome conversation exactly and that's true instagram, both of us being right. authentic on instagram and, exactly. and creating that resonance but i'd say that is the exception to the rule i think most instagram um and not instagram only but social media in general is not helping us go to our authentic self. It's it's making us feel like we need to present an image to the world that is likable. And the reality is that certain posts that you make get so much more likes than other posts. Yes. And like for women, for example, if you're going to take a photo and you're half naked, you're going to get five times oh, the amount yeah. of likes. Oh, yeah, and if yeah. you don't. And I think that's a really dangerous thing because it makes us feel like, okay... The world likes this better, so I should be more like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, all the things that we've talked about today are the opposite of that. It's like about coming to our authentic self and really figuring out who we want to be, not who the world wants us to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> I think we just need to share these messages to say, listen... It's not, it's not about who the world wants you to be, but about who, who you are. Who you are. Who, who you can be proud of being. Unfortunately, to get to that point, you have to go through quite a lot of crap <laughs> and go through all of your shadows along the way to get to that point of, of being yeah. okay with your... But it does become easier then. Once you understand the tools, it's not that it does, you, you're not going to go as... I mean, I can only imagine when I lose somebody... I'm very, very close to, like, that's going to be, I know, that's going to be rough, mm-hmm. big time, like, but I have the, I, I have tools, and I'm only going to expand my tool belt, you know, so, again, like, there's going to be challenges, but there's always choice, yeah, there's, like, that's the first tool, choice, yes, where, how do I choose to allow this to affect me, do I choose to create, or do I choose to destroy, yeah, that's my main question always. Do, mm-hmm. I, do I choose to see the good and to take it in and allow this to nourish me? Do I choose to see the crap and, and allow this to, to, to berate my mind? Like, you know, yeah. so, so yes, there's, there's going to continue to be challenges for sure. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to meeting you again and speaking more about our next yes. challenges. Yes, for sure. I think also therapy is is a really great tool obviously you're a therapist yeah but I feel very strongly that we need to make therapy cool again yeah (laughs) yeah that's been my mission (laughs) totally I'm right behind you Um, I know (laughs) I think it's such a great tool and it's such a shame that 
I think it's changing now, but previously there was this stigma that you have to be broken to go to therapy. Yeah, yeah. Why wait till you're broken? Yeah, as opposed to it being something that we can use to optimize our life. And and at the same time, just realize that even if you are broken, that's totally okay. Like we we are not brought up from a very young age, most of us, with the tools to not be broken, to have a perfect self-esteem and a perfect self-love. It's yeah. And even if you were, like, even if you had the perfect parents, it's just impossible. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's something naturally that you need to explore and figure out and you get there. It's not... And it's, it's only now that we're understanding the value of our emotions and the value of things like mindfulness and presence. Like, it's true that with technology, we're less present. But before there were newspapers, there were books, there were always ways to avoid and to run away from conflict, to run away from our emotions. It was always alcohol and, you know, so um, we're becoming much, much more aware now. The message is spreading more. Yeah, yeah. just that, that crisis is actually the opportunity for us to get to know ourselves and realize that we need to do this again. Like when it's too easy, we don't. But the technology is sort of pushing us to a level of disconnection that we say, okay, enough. Totally. You know, don't wait for the stroke, but now enough. I have anxiety, I can't sleep. That's enough to make me say, yeah, I'm going to go within and, and discover what I can control in my life, what I, I can... Not, not even just control, but sort of in a way when you surrender to life, you have control over your, yes. your own emotions. Yes, yes. So this is part of my, my go-within mission to make therapy cool. <laughs> I love it. And, and in a sense, like everything at Sanya is, is a form of therapy because even coming and, and relaxing by the pool and just being with yourself is, is a form of self-therapy. Exactly. In fact, we posted on our Instagram a couple of days ago that it takes courage to value play and rest in a culture that... Is saying, go, 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 you're yeah. not worthy if you're yeah. not busy. Yeah, and exhaustion is a status symbol. Yes. Busyness is a status symbol. Yes. And we're sort of saying, no, come, chill by the pool. And that actually shows that you have a balanced life and that you have a certain amount of maturity yeah. that in the end is only going to lead to more focus and, and more clarity. Yes, better work. Yes, too. better work. And that's, that's funny because um, I was hearing this thing recently which said um, we shouldn't just take care of the environment because we're running out of resources. And it's the same thing. Like We shouldn't only take care of our health so that we can be more productive, but there are happy side effects as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, we, we have this weird way of of only caring when it's going to affect us in a negative way and I heard this beautiful talk and he was saying listen we should care for the planet because we love not because we need energy but because we love yes and yeah how 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 can we be that kind of person that's going to want to take care of nature because we love how can we be that kind of person that takes rest because we love ourselves yeah not because we've hit that wall and we can't work and we need to boost our productivity. How can we be more loving human beings? I think is, is the question. I like it. A lot. <laughs> That's why I'm quiet. <laughs> You're absorbing. I'm taking yeah. it in. Yeah. Well, I think this is obviously a lot of the work that you do with, with your clients is how can they be this kind of person? Yeah. How can they find peace within themselves? Yeah, definitely. And I think this is the 
the call to adventure of the multiple crises that we're facing, whether it's environmental or technological or whatever, it's like these crises are, are telling us, listen, it's my favorite quote, not only must everything you do change, but so must each and every one of you. I think that's that's the beauty, is not changing what we do, but changing who we are. Yeah. So yeah, unless you have anything else that like specifically you'd like to talk about, mm. I I try to end the podcast by giving people some practical tools. Okay. So we actually talked about this a lot, but maybe there are a couple of things out of the box that maybe people wouldn't realize could help them to go within and either that or just sharing some some inspirational motivation to encourage them to to embark on this inner journey. Okay. Um, I'd say that if you're curious about this journey, which obviously you are because you're listening to this, go for it. You know, find a mentor who you resonate with. Don't look for a perfect mentor because there's no such thing. But find somebody who you... um, just feel you're comfortable with and and you can trust and and who will challenge you and um and just trust the journey just enjoy the journey it's gonna be fun (laughs) (laughs) yes i think remembering it's gonna be fun is is important because sometimes we take everything a bit too seriously and we can make things very heavy for nothing no it's gonna be fun yeah enjoy have fun even when it gets a little bit closer to the spectrum of dismantling side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Em, for your time. Thank you, yes. I hope that our listeners got some little nuggets there that can, can support their journey. And as always to everyone listening, please share your feedback. It's It's nice for both of us to know that we're not talking into a void and that people are engaging with the subject matter. It's quite funny because sometimes I hear from people that I've had on the show who got messages from audience members saying like, wow, I really resonated with this or I really resonated with that. Oh, cool. Um, so that's that's really nice. For some reason, they usually don't tell me directly. They tell the person <laughs> I'm interviewing, which is good. So let me know if, okay. if you get any nice okay, messages yeah. about Send this. Send a message to Yad. Come on. <laughs> Awesome. So thank you everyone for listening. I really appreciate you staying till till the end of the conversation. And uh, happy going within. Happy going within. <laughs> thank you. Beautiful.
holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!